my sense, at least historically, and, and I'm starting to question how accurate this is, but I used to get the feeling that a lot of people who opted out of public schools did so either because they, uh, for like very religious sort of reasons, like usually a, a theological issue, I want my kids to be educated in, in this certain faith or philosophy, um, or with sort of a, a strong libertarian streak of like pushing back on the compulsory piece. Like, I don't like that my kid is forced into this, or I just want something else that has more whatever ideology, faith, whatever it may be. But my, my maybe misconception, but my conception for a long time has been that people opting out of public schools usually did so because they were resisting the compulsory nature or they wanted that religious piece. How important is the non-compulsory piece for say you or for the students you're most familiar with like is that is that a big piece of it like obviously it's self-directed so as much as we're rah-rah choose your thing is there like the yin and the yang of it is if yeah i'm cheering self you know self-direction and choosing is the other side of that circle also like stick it to the man and you know quit telling me what to do kind of i mean not to make it sound silly but is, is there is that is that relevant? Like, is that part of the conversation for some of the people involved in self-directed education? Wow. Um, <laughs> so, um, yes, with a lot of people back in the 70s and the 80s, they started homeschooling for the religious reasons. And now the statistics look like a lot of people that are homeschooling, not for whatever their religion, religious needs are. It's mainly they their child is not getting their academic needs met or their social needs met in, in school. So there's bullying issues. Um, their child is afraid of school shootings or their child is advanced academically and they're ahead and they're frustrated or they're struggling academically and they're behind and they're frustrated. So that's actually usually the reasons. And then people that choose unschooling usually choose it so that they feel because they feel passionately that their child follows what their dreams are and their interests are and goes that direction. I am actually one of the unusual ones in the non-compulsory department. So when I talk about my kids having a choice of going to school starting at age four, I am definitely out there. There are a lot of people that unschool and don't give their kids the choice to go to school. So they do it because they see a lot of negative aspects of school and they see so many positive aspects for letting their child do what they want to learn, but they don't necessarily give them a choice, which is a, I, I think personally, I think that's a bummer because there's a lot of great things about school that I really like. So when I say my children always had the option of going to school in the unschooling circles, sometimes people look at me like I'm a little bit crazy. Um, so I'm really glad you asked that. Nobody has actually ever asked me that one. Um, so you might Sorry. have been, <laughs> no, I love it. I'm actually really happy about it. You probably have talked to a bunch of people that had that. I don't want to make light of it and say, stick it to the man philosophy, but there are, there are a bunch of libertarians out there um, that have that you know, I am going to do this because I don't want my kid to be forced into it kind of thing. But ultimately, for me, it's not my decision. It's it's my children's decision of what they want to do with their lives and their education. And that's how Embark works, too. It's your decision. So we have members that come in and they do it and they're like, this is great, but I really want to go back to school. And we're there for you to help you get back in there. And to go back to the um, young woman that you were talking about that did the 
the tour and have the, you know, I want to have regular schooling on one day and then have Embark on the other day kind of thing. You know, you can take private, um, excuse me, you can go to community college. So we have members that are 16 that go to community college part time and then come into Embark. So, but that's all their choice. It's all what they're choosing to do. So yeah there are a lot of a lot of reasons people homeschool and unschool one of the ones that i'm really really into and very excited about are people that are pulling their kids out of school because of the western colonizer version of history and they're wanting to get more of their culture and their racist history and they want to be in a supportive community that's outside of what they see as a threatening community for their children so that's that's blossoming now too with people that are leaving school for those reasons yeah there's just there's so much to it in the ways that people make the decision and i i I would agree with you that if the idea is to increase freedom that means you have to let the kids choose. And I, it's, I mean, you and I may disagree somewhat on like at, at what point or how much a kid gets to choose depending on the age. Like I'm not saying you have to force a kid to unschool or go to school early on, but I think it's reasonable for parents to steer the, steer the ship a little bit more early. And if things are going well, if you're actually developing a young person as an entire person, then as the student gets older, you should very much be able to trust their decisions and their judgment in what's going to work best for them. And, and I think that that's hard for a lot of parents like that, that letting go a little bit and trusting the student to make the choice. But yeah, if, if you say you're, you're going to be unschooled or you're going to be homeschooled in a certain way or online program, whatever it is, I mean, all that does is change who's making the decision for you. You know, is it is it a, a cultural or, you know, a, a broad social issue, a government thing? Or is it the parents in the end, if I'm 12 and I'm not loving it, it probably doesn't matter who made the decision. The fact is it wasn't me and I don't love it, you know. Um, and so I think students should have that choice. A, a few episodes I talked to Safa and Falak Qureshi, who I taught one of the two of them. Um, but uh, the whole family, I believe there's four sisters and I think I've taught three or two or three of them. And I didn't actually know this for a long time, but they were homeschooled slash unschooled. And then somewhere in middle school or beginning of high school, they each entered public school. Um, mostly by choice. And it, I thought their talk about it was interesting because they don't regret it, but they have this very interesting outlook on what was going really well at home versus what they expected from school and what they didn't expect. And um, I mean, they're all doing great and go to good colleges and, you know, they're all going to be very wealthy, I hope, or whatever makes them happy. But that, that was an interesting discussion because it was very much the idea that they were set up to stay home early on. And then they were essentially given the choice um, and all of them chose at some point to enter into public school for varying reasons. And I, I think that that makes sense. Um, you know, as you said, the idea of like, you know, choosing your own, I don't say history curriculum, but, you know, the lens through which you view history, so to speak. Uh, I have a friend who always reminds, reminds me that uh, no government will ever give you the tools necessary to overthrow it. Like no one in power is ever going to give you the ability to take away their power. And I say, you know, that's that's true, but you know, the guy that makes that decision doesn't get to show up in my classroom every day. So, you know, we have a lot of these sort of talks, even though I teach English, but we do a lot of history, um, focus a lot on, on like cultural issues and issues of justice. And so I, I, I agree. I think it's good for people to be able to choose it. I also think that we could probably do a better job of providing some of those options in school. Like these things are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Um, and when we, 
one of the the buzzwords of the day in public education is student voice and choice. You know, if I had a dollar for every time somebody said voice and choice, I'd be able to retire right now. Um, but it's always about choice in the classroom. Like you have to take English, you have to pass the standardized test. We have to do these things, but I'm supposed to, as the teacher, create more opportunities for the kid to choose the thing they read or the paper they write. You know, now that that's fine. But if we're being honest, we could all do a better job if the kid got to choose which room to go into. And then, hey, you chose to be in the room. Now I'm going to tell you what book to read only because that means we can all work together on this thing. If I'm supposed to just let everybody, you know, free range it and read whatever they want, that's fine. But it's really hard to wrangle things back in and make it look like a class at that point. And so I, I for me, I think a lot about the idea of putting the two things together that, you know, not not say that the university system is the better platform, but at least there where you get to choose which English class you want to take. You know, what do you focus on? What do you read? If you want to take an American history class, you should be able to choose your standard canon, whatever, or you could pick it from the, the viewpoint of, of oppressed people in the history, right? Like there's no reason that you shouldn't be able to choose which version of the history you get. And there's no reason that we couldn't offer that in a school. Um, and in my mind, that provides the best of both worlds. Well, maybe not the best, but at least something good from both worlds. Um, do you think that the ideas that like the philosophies of public school and its compulsory nature, do you think that that could change to encompass more of the self-directed learning or are they too different for that to work? Like, am I being too idealistic in saying that I think that they could work together? Well, that was my dream version that we would have publicly supported self-directed education. So very similar to what you described, which is, a campus where you can go into whatever class that you're interested in. I, I went to music school and the first time I took music history, I remember thinking, wait, what? I don't have to do history about war. I could do history about music. And then I took all the other histories, art history. And so um, I would love to see that kind of thing. But it would be such a shift of thinking because going back to what you said earlier with parents trusting their children to make a choice, that's hard. It's hard to trust them to make a choice when we were not trusted to make a choice and our parents weren't trusted and their parents weren't trusted. So it goes back generations and that's sort of in us. And sometimes I doubt it too. I'll say, well, I don't trust what you're choosing here. Can you stop playing video games? <laughs> <laughs> so that's very challenging to do. So it would be a huge cultural shift to say, you know what? I do believe that this five-year-old can choose what they're into, or I do believe this 10-year-old can choose which classroom to go into. But that would be, wouldn't that be wonderful to have people in your English class that chose to come in there for whatever you were, you were passionate about and you were doing. And then if that wasn't their thing, then they don't have to go there. They could go to do something else. And even for us. So a lot of times I, I try and reframe it to how would you treat an adult in this situation? And so why is it different to treat somebody that's under the age of 18? So I would love that respect to be able to go and choose what I want to do, which I was able to do once I hit a certain age and there's a magic number. And then you can go do these things that you want to do or learn about and what you want to do. And I feel like once the internet hit, that sort of shifted our whole playing field because you can go look it up now. So now it's not so much about making sure that everybody's exposed to all the kinds of knowledge out there because we didn't have access to it, or at least the best we could, right? It's all very Western. But now it's 
is that real? Is that not real that you're learning on the internet? Or how do you interact with people? Are you a compassionate person? Are you a good collaborator? So these are the things now that we call soft skills, but they're just so important that it's just so interesting when we have access to everything online like this. And I wonder how school is going to change or the world's going to change coming out of coronavirus when we're doing so much online. We've shifted to so many things. We have a class at Ember called Real Lives, Real Stories, where people come in and talk about their lives. And mainly it was just local business people. And then as soon as we went online, we could have anybody from the world come. So then we opened it up to all these amazing, I mean, the people that were coming in were amazing too, but now we can have, you know, film producers and environmental activists. And so, so those things change it. So I don't know. I would love to see school change coming out of this. Yeah. So that yeah, yeah. wouldn't it be? I, I like to dream big like that. I just don't know how realistic it is because there are millions of people that haven't had a podcast with you know hundreds of hours of conversations and read all the books and gone to all the conventions. 